Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. I'm your host, Vincent Shen, and it is Tuesday, February 28th, and today we will be covering some of the latest earnings coming out of the retail sector before reaching into the mailbag to answer a question from one of our foolish listeners. For earnings, we will be looking at some of the major department stores specifically, and I have recruited a senior fool.com contributor and consumer goods specialist Adam Levine Weinberg to help break down the results. Hey, Adam. Uh, great having you back on the show, man. How are you? I'm doing really well. How are you? Good. Uh, a lot. I feel like uh, our timing today is pretty pretty good because um, the companies that we will be discussing all reported their Q4 and full year 2016 results in the past week, essentially. Yes, that's right. Um, so before we dive into uh, the specifics for each company, though, I think the industry overall has kind of found itself in the headlines for generally more bearish trends and news. Uh, can you give us a little context on the state of this sector at the moment? Yeah, uh, over the past two years or so, really, department stores have really been struggling. Um, up until then, most department store chains had managed, um, despite the rise of e-commerce players like Amazon.com, they'd managed to build up their own e-commerce businesses and continue to bring people into the malls um, so that they could post not big sales gains, but at least modest sales gains. Uh, and by keeping costs in check, they were able to grow their earnings. In the last two years, that's really fallen apart, and it's been pretty broad-based with every department store chain seeing declines in comparable store sales um, and also declines in earnings, in some cases, pretty steep declines in earnings. Um, and this trend really continued into the, f- the fourth quarter. Um, both online and off-price retailers saw solid sales gains, and department stores uh, had really big trouble. And so we'll focus today, um, look at, at three of the big department store chains, Macy's, Nordstrom, and JCPenney. And that really covers the range of Macy's being mid-price, Nordstrom being on the upscale side, and then in the more value price segment, JCPenney. Okay, well, let's start with Macy's then. Uh, how did they look for their Q4? So last quarter, Macy's had a comp store sales decline of about 2.1%, uh, and that led to a modest decline in their earnings per share uh, from $2.09 a year earlier to $2.02 last quarter. Uh, now, that's a pretty good result uh, on the face of it. However, in both quarters, both Q4 2015 and then again in Q4 2016, Macy's had some big one-time asset sale gains from selling off real estate that was quite valuable. Um, in each quarter, that was over $100 million in gains. And so it added 20, 30 uh, cents or so to their earnings. So they were certainly profitable, uh, but not as profitable as it might seem uh, just from looking at their results. Um, the cash proceeds actually last quarter from the asset sales at Macy's were over $500 million. Um, and so that's actually becoming an increasingly important part of Macy's financial story. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Looking at the full year, uh, adjusted earnings per share at Macy's were at $3.11, and that was down from $4.40 just two years ago. So that really shows you what's been going on to these de- you know, with these department stores mm-hmm. in the last two years. Um, looking forward, Macy's expects pretty similar trends going into 2017, with comp sales down another 2 or 3%, uh, and uh, adjusted earnings per share uh, likely to decline a little bit. 
uh, again on a year-over-year basis. So I want to go back to uh, the asset sales that you mentioned. So you've written about this a few times, but the idea that you know Macy's very valuable real estate—they've been trying to find different ways to monetize them. It seems like that's really coming to the forefront now. what do you think? Uh, you know, the company has kind of, ha- or how has the company essentially been taking advantage of this cash windfall that it's seen from some of these asset sales? Like, are they returning? Do they want to return more capital shareholders? Are they investing more in their stores and technology, trying to catch up on the e-commerce side where a lot of these companies are, you know, getting, you know, the only growth that they're seeing? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it's a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, for 2017, Macy's. Uh, decided that it's not going to be buying back any shares. Um, so the main use of cash is going to be debt reduction. Um, just uh, if you look back, really just a few months uh, in late 2016, Macy's had about 7.7 billion dollars of debt on its books, which is quite a lot um, for a company of its size. Um, it does have revenue of over 25 billion dollars, but that's been sinking and it has pretty low profit margins. Mm-hmm. So it should not. Really should not be carrying that much debt. Uh, the debt's already down to under seven billion dollars. Macy's used a lot of its free cash flow last quarter. Um, for our listeners, during the fourth quarter, that's when retailers generate the bulk of their cash flow. So Macy's generated a lot of cash flow last quarter, used it to pay down almost a billion dollars of debt, and it's going to continue doing that in 2017. That said, it also is trying to make some strategic investments, um, both in stores and online. Uh, it's been spending about $900 million a year on, on CapEx, which is a, a pretty substantial sum. Mm-hmm. Some of that is going to beef up technology, uh, particularly mobile apps is really where, where the market's going. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not, it's not good enough anymore just to have a, a good e-commerce website. You need to have a good app. Um, Macy's is also going to refurbish some stores, but a lot of the investment's actually going to be on the store side, in terms of bringing new departments into stores um, with new items that aren't in the stores right now, including these off-price, uh, what they call Macy's backstage departments, and that's basically like a TJ Maxx inside of a Macy's store. Um, and so they're trying to tap into this demand for uh, this treasure hunt experience of cheaper items. Uh, it's not a full collection; it's just whatever they the manufacturers have. That's cheap. That they're looking to get rid of. So basically, trying to tap into their core segment, but also some of the people who are looking for those discounts and deals too. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So let's go uh, on that note to J.C. Penney. Then, um, how do their results look? Yeah. So J.C. Penney's actually been an interesting case within the retail industry. Um, J.C. Penney had a really terrible performance um, starting around 2012. Mm-hmm. It had a new management team that came yep. in about five years ago. They decided they were going to get rid of coupons um, <laughs> and get rid of discounts for the most part because they they wanted to bring in some big brands, um, which they did, uh, including Michael Graves, Disney, and they thought that these brands weren't going to come into the store if they were constantly offering ten dollars off a ten dollar purchase coupons. Um, getting the brands in was probably good. Uh, however, it wasn't worth what they did to their business by getting rid of coupons. They just alienated the vast majority of their customer base. They saw sales declines uh, at one point that were over 30% on an annual basis. And they basically went from being an over $17 billion retailer in 2011 to being a $12 billion retailer by uh, two years later. So, in the past two years, JCPenney's actually been making a bit of a comeback. Uh, and in 2015, it was the only department store chain that was 
posting good comparable store sales increases during the year. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, it was still losing money because it it was still relatively early in this comeback process. And so in 2016, uh, JCPenney actually made it into um, profit territory. So in the fourth quarter, it earned adjusted uh, earnings per share of 64 cents and full year earnings per share of 8 cents. So a very small profit, but a profit nonetheless. That said, um, it ran out of steam in terms of comparable store sales gains. Mm-hmm. It was basically flat for the full year and actually down in the fourth quarter. Um, and looking ahead to 2017, JCPenney's management expects um, pretty similar comp sales performance, roughly flat. They're hoping to do better, but based on the recent trends, they uh, are being realistic and, and understanding that even with all the initiatives that they've put into place to try to drive sales, so far it's not really working, um, or to the extent that it's working, it's just offsetting the pressure that they're seeing, that they're seeing elsewhere. Um, the profit is supposed to continue improving this year. They're looking for EPS of $0.40 cents to $0.65. Cents. But as in the case with Macy's, a lot of this um, projected profit is coming from real estate gains. So they're planning to sell off a couple of real estate assets that uh, are basically they're not making full use of. One is a distribution facility that they have in uh, the LA area. And so by selling this off, they can get a big chunk of cash and either move to a cheaper facility or consolidate into their other uh, existing distribution facilities, and and sort of take that money, use it to pay off debt. So when it comes down to it, uh, you know, JC after looking you know pretty strong in 2015, uh, as you mentioned, kind of picking up a little bit of momentum with the the turnaround process. Um, even they really couldn't escape some of the broad trends that are affecting the industry. Exactly. Um, and uh, you mentioned uh, some of the. Uh, Better usage of uh, its real estate, some asset sales. Um, is that uh, what else do you think the company is going to be focused on in the coming year? Uh, you know, they've been doing also a lot of, uh, especially like cost cutting and expense management. Is that going to also be a focus? You think? Yeah. So um, JC Penney's looking to cut costs again in the coming year. Uh, the big news recently is that, in conjunction with the earnings announcement last week, the company said that it's going to close uh, between 130 and 140 stores by June, um, and that's. 13 to 14% of their store base. So that's a pretty big number. Mm-hmm. Um, it's mostly smaller and lower volume stores. They said that even though it's 13 to 14% of the stores by uh, by number, it's actually less than 5% of their sales. So these are less efficient locations. And so by closing them, JCPenney hopes to capture some of that business in other stores or online. Uh, and they also just don't see this as being very profitable stores going forward. Um, and so this will allow them to invest in their better performing locations. Um, one of the other things that you're seeing is they're they're trying to add um, new departments to their stores that they think have better um, better prospects going forward. And in particular, you're seeing them try to reduce their focus on apparel sales because it's highly seasonal and highly weather dependent. And in the past few years, retailers have really had a lot of trouble with ordering cold weather gear and then yeah. it's not cold or they order spring stuff and there's a cold spell um, in March and so JC Penney's management is kind of tired of this and they obviously will continue selling lots of clothes clothing but they don't want to be so reliant on that that their earnings plunge whenever there's unexpected weather events sure and so some of the big things that you've seen are appliances um, which they started adding to stores uh, last year, and they just finished rolling that out, and they're going to continue actually adding that in some more stores during 2017. 
Um, they're interested in other kind of home initiatives, uh, flooring, curtains, all that kind of stuff. So basically, the core idea being, you know, having to deal with, for example, this furry weather we've had in the past week, at least in the DC region, seventy degrees. Yeah, it can be really tough to to, you know, make your orders and stock your inventory based on that when, you know, the weather changes on you for sure. Um, otherwise, my question for you, uh, you know, this you mentioned was its first full year profit, I think, since twenty ten. Uh, it's. 2011 on an adjusted basis, 2010 on a gap sure. basis. Yeah. Um, would you say? Do you think it's fair to say that the company has kind of finally broken through in its post Ron Johnson turnaround, like at the point where it's kind of past the point of of really like stumbling along, and now they're looking forward and really focused on how they can kind of return, uh, or at least try to return to their previous levels of revenue and their size and scale. Yeah, I think that that's. That's true to some extent. I don't think J.C. Penney's ever going to get back to the size that it once was, sure. um, but the company definitely has a, a plan for how it's going to reduce its debt, reduce its risk, um, save on interest expense, um, and it's got these sort of brewing initiatives, mainly in the home department, but also some other things, mm-hmm. um, larger sizes, um, areas where they think that they can compete better. Um, and I think that that will allow them to carve out a niche for themselves. That said, it's important to recognize that they're still barely profitable. Yeah, and we're, um, you know, at at the you know at ne- nearing the end of one of the longest running economic expansions in U.S. history. Not a very strong expansion, but um, when the economy's been growing for eight years straight, that should be a time when you're making a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're only barely profitable, then. There's going to be a recession sometime. We don't know if it's going to be in a year or three years or five years, but it's going to come sometime. And the question is, will J.C. Penney be in a strong enough position by then that it can survive a downturn, um, or will it continue to be at this sort of barely break-even? In which case, a downturn could be pretty difficult to cope with. Sure. All right. Well, let's turn our attention uh, now to uh, Nordstrom, which seems to be the the one company that was able to you know get a, a bit of a boost. From its most recent report, and uh, had generally, uh, it's obviously still running into issues like a lot of the department stores, but uh, some some uh, bright spots as well. Yeah, so I think that Nordstrom's results definitely showcase um, the the difference between department stores and off-price stores, because Nordstrom really is a mix between a department store and an off-price store. You have the the famous Nordstrom full line stores, which are known for great service. Um, they you know are pretty expensive generally speaking, and those have been running into trouble lately, uh, despite maintaining a really great reputation. On the other hand, you have Nordstrom Rack, which is this fast-growing chain of off-price stores uh, that's really driving most of, or really at this point, all of Nordstrom's revenue growth. Um, so if you look in the fourth quarter, you had a comp sales decline at Nordstrom of 0.9%. But in the full line stores themselves, not counting online, comp sales were actually down 6.8%. So Nordstrom's seeing just as big um, declines in traffic at their full line stores as other department stores, and in some cases, even bigger. Um, and that 6.8% decline was not a, a one time thing. That was basically their trend for the whole year. On the other hand, uh, you saw a 10.9% full year increase in off price sales at Nordstrom including both the Nordstrom Rack stores and their uh, online off-price business. Um, and so that drove a, 
a really substantial chunk of revenue growth. So for the uh, fourth quarter, adjusted EPS was up year over year to $1.27 from $1.17 a year earlier. So that definitely set Nordstrom apart from a lot of its department store competitors. Um, the, the earnings growth, on the other hand, for the full year, earnings were down with EPS of $3.04 compared to $3.32 a year earlier. And like a lot of the other department stores out there, Nordstrom is again expecting uh, an EPS decline in 2017, along with roughly flat comp store sales, which will almost certainly be comprised of a decline in the full line business and another solid increase in the off-price rack. Sure. Okay. Well, let's take this um, to kind of a 10,000-foot view. Yeah. Uh, what do you think ha- is the big takeaway or trend uh, for this sector from this latest wave of results? Uh, I think. We've heard a little bit about asset sales, better utilization of real estate. We've heard about a few store closures at JCPenney. What do you think is the big takeaway for listeners? Yeah, so I think that um, making the best use of real estate is really uh, becoming an increasingly important focus for these companies. Uh, And so store closures are going to be a big theme in, in 2017. So Macy's right now is in the midst of closing more than 60 stores, which is part of a broader plan that they announced last August, under which they're going to close roughly 100 stores over the next several years. And that's about 15% of their full-line store base, so it's a pretty significant chunk. And then, as I mentioned earlier, JCPenney is also closing uh, close to 15% of their store base, although for in that case, it's mostly the, the smaller and the lower-volume stores. Um, Nordstrom, on the other hand, is actually still growing. Uh, if you look last year, it did close one store over the summer, um, but it opened three full-line stores, two of them in Canada and one in the U.S. And then it's opening another store in Canada this year uh, and only closing one store, at least so far, um, from what it's announced. Aside from that, if you look at the Nordstrom rack chain, still expanding at um, a pretty rapid pace. Mm-hmm. Not as fast as it has been over the past four years. It's opened nearly 100 new stores just in the past four years, which has boosted the, the Nordstrom Rack store base by um, it almost doubled it, in fact. Uh, for 2017, they have 16 Nordstrom Rack openings confirmed. Um, so that would be under 10% growth. And they may add one or two more to that in the next couple of months, but they're sort of running out of time at this point to announce more store openings for this year. But over the next several years, I'd expect Nordstrom Rack to continue at a high single-digit expansion pace, which is probably the right amount uh, in terms of letting the store base mature and grow in terms of profitability. And you know, among these three companies, or even broader for the sector, do you have a favorite in terms of you know how they're in terms of who has the brightest outlook or or uh, who who you are the most bullish for? Yeah, and just on a pure retail basis, um, I think Nordstrom is by far in the best shape of these three companies. Um, it's largely because it is not as reliant on its full line stores anymore. And in fact, 2016 was in in some ways a really big year for Nordstrom because um, as bad as the full line uh, sales declines were for the company, now full line sales are actually just under 50% of their total sales, um, just looking at the in-store. Uh, the rest is made up of off-price sales in Nordstrom Rack and then online sales. And so with the online and off-price parts of the business still growing and the full line probably declining at a modest pace over the next several years, um, those growing parts of the business are going to become more and more important. And so 
I think Nordstrom um, is going to gradually um, pull out of this this slump that's affected the department store sector simply beca- because it's becoming less and less like a traditional department store mm-hmm. in terms of its its full business when you look at it from a high level. Now, its, it's off-price business still needs some work. Um, it's not nearly as profitable as uh, a company like TJX, which is the, the you know big bear um, in the the sector. Sure. TJX got $33 billion in sales, and it's all off-price. Nordstrom Rack is still about four four and a half billion dollars right now. So, still a lot of room to run there, um, and definitely a lot of room to improve the profitability of the business. But that's a really exciting uh, long-term opportunity for investors. Yeah, it kind of gives you an idea of the scale of what. Yeah, the, it shows the you how big the opportunity is. Yep. Yeah. Okay, um, we have a few more minutes here, and I don't. I want to make sure we have enough question or time to address our, our listener question. So, uh, again, going into the mailbag. Uh, this question is from Levi Waddell uh, on a company that I don't think I've actually covered previously on the show, and that is VF Corporation, uh, ticker VFC. Uh, so Levi wrote us back in mid-January asking, wondering if you guys had any thoughts on VFC. Retail's getting crushed right now, and a lot of VFC brands are big in mall stores. It is right around its 52-week lows, or it was at the time. And is this stock worth looking into right now, or is the risk associated with retail too much for it to overcome? So, for any fools listening who are not familiar with this company, you probably recognize at least a few of the, uh, I think, about 30 major brands that uh, exist within the company's portfolio. And some of the most recognizable ones are the North Face, Vans, Timberland, Wrangler, Jansport, and Nautica. Uh, and as you can tell from the handful of names I've mentioned, their products span a variety of uh, different categories. So think apparel, footwear, luggage, and accessories, but also kind of different segments too in terms of the target markets. So uh, that includes outdoors, action sports, denim jeans, yeah. and also professional sports licensing as well. So, um, you know, they sell their products obviously through uh, a pretty big uh, network of company owned stores, but also through a wholesale business. They're uh, trying to grow their direct to consumer efforts as well. Um, this company has about a $22 billion market cap, uh, $11.9 billion of revenue in 2016, uh, free cash flow of uh, over $1.2 billion. They uh, actually, I have it right here. They do 20% of their business direct to consumer and 50, over 1,500 retail stores. Overall, though, uh, what do you think about the company? So, VF is a pretty interesting um, sort of battleground stock, I guess you could mm-hmm. say, right now. Um, as the listener question explained, they definitely have a big exposure to mall-based stores, in particular the department stores, including some of the ones we were just talking about. And so, with department stores sales declining, that obviously hurts a company like VF. And then there's actually a kind of follow-on effect in that, with the sales declining, the uh, department stores are often trying to reduce their inventory commitments, and so that leads to even bigger sales declines for suppliers like VF Corporation. Sure. Um, and so, after years of strong growth, um, up until about around 2014, you've seen operating income, earnings per share, and free cash flow all kind of stagnate for the past three years or so. Um, and so, it definitely raises a question, is VF ready for a comeback, or is this kind of the new normal for them? Um, I would say that the, the reasons to be optimistic about the outlook are mainly that VF has a pretty good international business and direct-to-consumer business, and both of these are still growing, mm-hmm. whereas the uh, wholesale business in the U.S., which is the, the part of the business that's selling to department stores, 
is declining, but as a result, it's it's sort of similar to the Nordstrom um, parallel that I was talking about earlier. Th- this declining department store business in the U.S. is now not as important to the the story for the company as a whole. And so, if the international business continues to grow, and if the direct consumer business can continue to grow, going forward, that could actually offset uh, any further declines that they see in the U.S. department store business, um, which would be pretty good news for for VF shareholders. Sure. Um, for 2017, the company does expect another decline in earnings per share, um, but a lot of that is due to uh, the strong dollar and with constant currency, they're calling for a mid-single-digit increase in in EPS. Um, looking at valuation, the shares aren't very cheap right now. They trade for about 17 times earnings, so not really expensive, but also not cheap. Uh, the good news is that you're getting a 3% dividend, which is a pretty good yield in this environment. So I would say that VF isn't a screaming buy right now. I think that the risk of further uh, declines in the department store sector are are definitely a risk that investors should be concerned about. And I think that you could also see trouble both um, other stores in the mall, you know, so including other direct-to-consumer businesses that BF runs, haven't been doing any better than department stores recently. So that's definitely a risk that the direct-to-consumer business kind of runs out of steam. You've seen with Under Armour, they had huge gains um, for many, many years, and they've got a really strong brand as well, and that hasn't been able to overcome this very sluggish retail environment. So mm-hmm. even the great brand, it, it's it's definitely a good asset to have in the long run, um, but it's not uh, a guarantee of a smooth upward climb. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say that if the U.S. wholesale business uh, can stabilize, then you could see a, a return to EPS growth in the coming years. Um, and it's just a question of when that happens. I, I think that eventually people will get out and start spending money on clothing again. Um, it's just it's not clear when. And so this might be a good time to take a starter position um, for an investor in a company like VF, uh, s- because there's definitely some upside here if they can uh, stabilize the declining aspect of their business and concentrate on c- continuing to grow the international and direct-to-consumer lines. Um, but there's enough risk that I, I wouldn't go bet the farm on this stock at this point. Sure. And uh, just to kind of flesh out some of the points that you made, uh, the company generates 38% of its revenue for international markets. That's so, right. as you mentioned, uh, that uh, similar uh, to, you know, you kind of compared it to Nordstrom, is, you know, as the, the side of its or the part of its business that's suffering kind of loses share. Um, it helps if the company can focus on part or on you know direct to consumer e-commerce and also um, you know that they're the international markets that are seeing yeah that those growth. are all still growing and the company I should also add in terms of its yield over three percent which is pretty good um, it's also uh, pretty sure it's a dividend aristocrat as well so it's it got is, a long yeah. history here they've also I think spent over 1.6 billion dollars in 2016 same plan for 2017 returning capital shareholders so buying back shares as well I think they've reduced their share count by about six seven percent in the past two years but it's funny though you, you know the struggles that a lot of the companies we talked about earlier on the show uh, between Macy's JCPenney, Nordstrom, all running into issues over the past two years, and uh, you know VF Corporation very much following that same trend in terms of the timing. Um, and the stock itself, in terms of uh, the pricing, you know, peaked at over sixty-six dollars last March. Um, 
went below fifty dollars to to some uh, to some of its fifty-two uh, uh, week lows very yeah. recently. It's recovered a little bit. It's now around fifty-two dollars. So the seven times valuation, I'm kind of in the same boat as you in terms of not great, um, but it's definitely a, a company that. You know, I did not follow previously. It's very interesting business, I think, um, in terms of having kind of that portfolio of pretty strong brands. Not a perfect insulation from uh, problems in the overall retail sector, but uh, it, there's some strengths there, I think, too, that shouldn't be overlooked entirely. Um, otherwise, any last points uh, for um, Levi? Yeah, I would just say that in terms of, of risk factors that uh, investors should be aware of, I, one important thing, obviously, is again, chance of a recession at some point in the future. It's going to happen. We don't know when, but recessions do occur. And so, just as as with these other retailers, if they're not doing well right now, um, they're going to do worse during a recession. And so, that definitely offsets some of the potential profit growth. You know, obviously, they might be able to stabilize their business in the next year or two, but if a year or two later you have a recession, they could end up back where they are now, or even worse. Sure. Uh, a second one is there's been a lot of rumors um, going around about. Uh, What's known as a border-adjusted tax that uh, a lot of Republicans in Congress want to implement, and this would basically penalize companies for um, importing goods from overseas. And retailers have really pushed back against this hard because they import everything from overseas, and so that also includes a company like VF Corporation. They're not making a lot of clothing in the United States; it's mostly getting um, made and and you know overseas and then brought to the U.S. Um, for the 60 plus percent of their business that's still. Domestic, and so they would not do well under that scenario because they're going to have a much higher tax bill. Um, so if there's, it's certainly not clear that this border adjusted tax is going to happen. But if it does, that would definitely cause problems for a lot of retailers, but also for a company like VF. Sure. All right. Well, thank you uh, very much, Adam, for joining me today. And uh, that is all the time we have for the show, but you can reach out to us and the rest of the Industry Focus crew via Twitter at MF Industry Focus. And please send us any questions via email to industryfocus at fool.com. Don't forget to check out uh, fool. our podcast at fool.com for our other awesome content. And people in the program may own companies discussed in the show, and the Molly Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear during the program. Thanks for listening and Fool on. Fool on.